session with Dr. Farid Hulak. Good evening and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show and suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number, 310-441-0555. Before I get into the books uh, from past week and this week, I wanted to mention again that a group of young teenagers, some preteens and teenagers I'm working with, are raising funds for a music and art center for an orphanage in Baja, Mexico. And we already got a lot of generous donations from listeners, so thank you to those of you who have donated, and I hope people will continue to donate. We have a goal of $10,000, which is what it seems it'll take to build this music and art center uh, for those wonderful kids down there. And um, as I talked about on last week's show, music and art is a great way for anyone to express themselves and especially to express any kind of pain they've experienced and unfortunately the kids uh, the orphanage have gone through a lot of emotional pain and oftentimes um, when you talk to the people that work at the orphanages they don't know their stories they don't know the details of the stories sometimes maybe the kids don't remember all of it but we know that they carry that pain with them and through music and art they can hopefully express that uh, which which can be beneficial but also it can be very healing to get to express your art in that way. So we're excited about that project and I hope people will continue to donate. You can go on any of my social media, my uh, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. I have it in all three and you can make a donation there with the link that is provided. Also want to make another announcement for the cruise March 9th through the 12th that I'll be doing along with commercial travel. If you want more information, also you can go to my social media where you can find the number to call to make your reservations now for that, uh, which should be a lot of fun. DJ Alex will be joining us and other professionals who will be on board to give us seminars uh, on a variety of topics. And I myself will do a few seminars and question and answer sessions. So I hope to see you there March 9th through the 12th. All right. Before I do the summary of the book from this path, past week, um, I was already reading the title for the new book. Uh, the book for this week is The Psychopath Test. By John Ronson, The Psychopath Test, A Journey Through the Madness Industry. Uh, again, the author is John Ronson. I've not read that book. I remember hearing a lot about it, so I thought it'd be worth checking out. But let me talk now about the book from this past week, Show Me All Your Scars, True Stories of Living with Mental Illness. And there isn't one author because the book consists of 20 stories of people living with mental illness. Now, the person telling the story isn't actually always the individual dealing with the mental illness. Sometimes it's a family member or a partner of someone dealing with mental illness, but all of them revolve around serious mental illness and how it's affecting people and um, really, really powerful stories. And the aim of the book 
is to further reduce the stigma attached to mental illness, which is one of the aims I have for this show, is to talk about mental health issues, um, for people to share their stories, for other people to hear them, for people to express what they go through, and for all of us to realize we all deal with mental health issues. We all deal with mental illness, and we need to stop stigmatizing ourselves and one another for dealing with something that is really out of our hands. It's not something that people choose to be mentally ill. Um, and it's something that we should not differentiate between medical or physical illnesses. And I think the more we study these things, we see that the line is blurrier and blurrier. What is a mental illness? What is a medical illness? Because most things we consider mental illnesses also have phys physical manifestations or symptoms. If you have anxiety, you might get headaches or stomach aches, or also you might have hard time breathing, which are physical uh, characteristics or symptoms. And if you have some medical illnesses, you can also have psychological or mental symptoms as well. So that line is very blurry, but unfortunately what's not blurry is the way that we view mental illness very differently from medical illnesses. Actually, one of the stories in the book, I forgot what the medical issue was, but this mom is saying that when their daughter had a medical issue, all the neighbors were coming over and giving support and sympathy and, and uh, you know, all this loving feelings towards them. But then once she had a mental health issue and she had some kind of serious mental illness, people stopped coming by. There wasn't that same outpouring of support. One, we don't see it the same way, and two, people don't know how to react and respond to it. So because of that, unfortunately, people pull back significantly. We don't get that same support. And in a lot of cultures, we see this. When I was doing my dissertation, I remember coming across research looking at this idea or people writing about this idea. And I wrote about it too in my dissertation that um, this idea that because we see medical and mental illness differently and we give it different attention, it makes it more likely for people to express their pain in different ways. So for example, if you're feeling really down, but saying you're down or depressed might create a certain negative reaction, it's a lot easier to have a headache or a stomach ache, which is going to warrant lots of love and care and attention in a positive way. So unconsciously, we are actually more likely to want to express things physically than mentally or psychologically. And this is what we see when people do things like somatize, which is to express physical or sorry, psychological pain or distress in physical ways. Um, so we can see the effects that the stigma has is really significant. So people share different stories in this book dealing with things like bipolar disorder. And it's so interesting to read their stories. And I think it's so good to read their stories. One, because it humanizes them, but also makes you realize what it actually is like. Sometimes when you tell people about a manic episode, they actually think, oh, that sounds pretty cool to have um, less need for sleep, inflated self-esteem, feeling really good about yourself, uh, you know, that whole thing, having more energy, well, it sounds great. But they don't realize that when you actually have a manic episode, a full-blown manic episode, it's anything but great. And it could even be life-threatening and you can make really bad choices and get yourself in trouble and you don't feel good. And you can even become psychotic, meaning you experience hallucinations or delusions. It's not a, a comfortable, nice thing. Um, so, it, you know, hearing people's stories from OCD to trichotillomania, which is where 
um, people pull their hair out um, to schizophrenia, depression and, and issues of suicide come up often in the different stories. It was really powerful to read them. And really, actually, it was intense. I read these books in a week, and there usually comes a day where I, I, I read a little bit more heavily, and that happened on Friday. And I read a good chunk of the book, and it really had an effect on me to the point where I really felt like I was down after I read it. Really, it was intense to read all these stories, um, and you really felt like you were connecting with these people. So that was an interesting experience I had reading this book. And then when I finished the book last night, I was coming back on a flight, and um, I finished the book, and I stopped, and I just had tears coming out of my eyes. I started crying uh, for a little bit, and I was thinking about the people in the book and their stories, and I was thinking about people around me, and you know, the title, Show Me All Your Scars, and thinking of their pain, and then even thinking of my own pain um, from present, past, and it was just this overwhelming feeling, um, overall a good feeling to have that release, but very intense. And so reading these stories was very intense. It was not it's like a lot of the other books that I've read, which I do get a lot out of, but this one had a different feel. Literally, you could feel the pain and you could connect. Um, most of the people who contributed stories are writers, so they write really beautifully oftentimes with a lot of intensity and beautiful prose that made it uh, even more readable, but also made you connect more deeply with what you were reading. Um there was even one individual, Ryan Bloom, who was talking about his OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. And in his uh, chapter, he did all sorts of things like, it basically, he was trying to have you look or feel what it's like to be in his mind. So you'd read a sentence, but then there'd be one part crossed out and a new word put next to it, like you would if you were editing. Then he would do things where he would move the margins around. The fonts would change size sometimes. The font even would become more... Uh, easier to see or harder to see it, it was just it, it was interesting and reading it was it, it was hard to stop reading it but also it was very dizzying and tiring when I read that chapter I remember it was almost like Whew, I'm glad I finished it because it was difficult and in that way I think he did a really good job of getting you to see what it's like to be in his mind it's tiring it's exhausting to constantly have these things uh, going in and out of your mind or not being able to take things out of your mind which is really a big problem with OCD we all have these things that pop into our head, random thoughts even. But with someone with OCD, it's like that reel in the movie theater got stuck. So it keeps playing the same thing over and over again. Most of us can switch the reel and think about something else. But for them, they can get to these negative thoughts or these fearful things and just can't get it out of their head. And it's incre incredibly painful. But reading that chapter, it was almost like an experience where you felt like uh, you knew what it was like or could for a moment feel what it's like to have OCD. And it really was exhausting and very very tiring um so the stories in the book are heartbreaking even you have a, a mother talking about her son with autism and the struggles she goes through and how difficult that is and you know what i think is important is again going back to the stigma of mental illness we think of it very often as this us and them you know this us whoever that is and that usually we include ourselves who are healthy and the them who are sick and different. But we realize it's not the case of such an us and them. It's really all of us. We all deal with mental health. Um, according to NAMI, um, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, one in five adults in the United States 
experiences mental illness in a given year. That's just in one year. So that's 43.8 million people in the United States are going to experience that. So again, that's not something small. And that's just in a given year. If you get the the um, the statistics of lifetime and lifelong mental illness, you see it's much more. And even things like schizophrenia, we think of as so rare and weird. It's over 1%, 1.1% of adults in the U.S. live with schizophrenia. 2.6 live with bipolar disorder. 6.9% of adults um, will have a major depressive, depressive episode in a given year. That's just in this year. So we see that these things that we think of as so rare are actually not that rare at all. And even a big part of therapy, something I've experienced, is sometimes just letting the person in the room know, my client know, that what they're dealing with, they're not alone, that millions of people are dealing with what they're dealing with, can be really eye-opening and, and uh, relieving, giving them the feeling, okay, it's, it's not just me. Because there's this feeling we have, of, it's just me, I'm the weird one, the crazy one. Everyone else seems to have it so well put together and don't seem to have these problems. But actually, this book is called Show Me All Your Scars. But unfortunately, what we do is, exact, is the exact opposite. We never show our scars to each other. We don't show our weaknesses. So you're sitting there with this problem that you think is just yours. You think you're crazy and weird and bad and unlovable because of it. And you're sitting next to maybe a good friend or even a partner or family member who in thin themselves has those same feelings. I have this issue or that issue, or I have these thoughts or feelings that make me bad or weird or not okay. And we're both sitting each other, assuming that the other one has it, you know, is totally okay. And we're not. Now, the thing is, although we feel like we're different from one another, we're not different, not because we're both okay, but that we're both not okay in some ways. And that is okay. It's normal for us in a way to be abnormal. By that, I mean, most people or almost all people have some kind of mental health issue. So to have an issue doesn't make you bad. Like I have bad knees, but it's not weird for me to tell someone, oh, you know, when I work out, my knees hurt or someone injures something. We don't have a hard time sharing that with each other. But when it comes to our mental health, it's this assumption that you either have to be perfect or you're crazy. You either have to have nothing wrong with you or you're weird and you know, no one's going to love you and all that stuff. And that's another thing I like about the book is people are sharing their stories of mental health and their mental illnesses. And there's a focus on recovery and resilience. Now, some of them even talk about how they don't believe that the, the old adage of whatever, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger because sometimes things happen to you and they can hurt and they continue to hurt. But they do share their stories of success that they're living with mental illness, but most of them talk about their careers, or at least at the end, there's an excerpt about their career, and they're doing okay, and they're doing fine. So it's this reminder that being uh, an individual who suffers from mental illness doesn't mean you can't be successful, doesn't mean you can't be married, doesn't mean you can't have kids, doesn't mean any of those things. You can still live the quote-unquote normal life or do everything we think we want to do um, in our life, even with mental illness. So it really was a great read. Like I said, very powerful and intense people being very raw, sharing their stories, which I found really fascinating. So that's show me all your scars, true stories of living with mental illness. Um, it was edited by Lee Gutkind, G-U-T-K-I-N-D. So I hope you will, will check that out. And again, the book for this week is The Psychopath Test by John Ronson. 
All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? Hello? Yes, hi, you're on the air. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for calling. Sure, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I just like to ask you about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. and I just first wanted to ask you a general. I mean, was wondering if you could speak about it generally speaking, and then if you know I need to, you know get into details, um, I would be glad to do so. Okay, sure. We can talk about that. So is it yourself that you're talking about? Okay. Yes, and it's, uh, I've done a lot of studies. I mean, I've read about it, and um, I know it happens to a lot of people that Mm -hmm. are basically veterans that, you know, have gone to war. I know it happens to a lot of them. Or, you know, other people that have had perhaps accidents or some other, um, you know, difficulties or, or, you know, some sort of situations. But this, what I'm referring to is basically regarding uh, illnesses that happen a few times, serious illnesses. And uh, what happens after you go through them and mm-hmm. basically, you know, once you're done with, quote-unquote, the war. <laughs> yeah. Let's say, well, no, it, well, it can be a war. And, you know, probably it'll help us to get more specific about what you're dealing with. But just generally, sure. something you mentioned, um, you know, PTSD, originally people thought it was... They just think of it as like a veteran's issue. Yes, lots of veterans experience it, but, you know, they began to realize, no, it's not just veterans. There's many forms of trauma. Uh, Absolutely, you know, combat is a big one. But um, as you mentioned, things like accidents, people, for example, after 9-11, if they were around that area, they experienced natural disasters. It's yeah. really anything that you experienced that felt shocking or dangerous. And it it's something that appeared shocking or dangerous to you because you could have been somewhere and everything was okay, but if you felt like your life was in danger, that could still be a trauma. And, of course, yeah. physical and sexual abuse also falls into that category. Um, but I, I want to hear more about what you have been dealing with. Sure. So, And I think you actually, the words you used made it very interesting. You know, you said like the war or the battle that you went through with, with illness um, yeah. It is like a war. Then you come out of it. It can feel traumatic, and you can have similar reactions. So, tell me about what you've had to deal with. Okay, I'll do so. Although I know in our culture, um, what I'm going to talk about is uh, quite private, but I'm willing to do so because um, I don't think of most Persians who hide things and. Um, basically think that if they get sick, um, they're dealing with a serious illness, they have to hide it. And I see that a lot. I think it's very unfortunate 
And I can understand it makes you feel less comfortable. I hope I'm happy that you are willing to share that because, yes. Absolutely, yeah. because actually it's happened to me two, three times. And it, the first one was 15 years ago. I'll explain it. Uh, but before I say that, uh, or talk about it rather, um, it's something that I'm actually writing about because I was so blessed to overcome it and and at the time there was no nobody that I could see who had recovered in my age group uh, at the time and I owe it to myself and a, a lot of other people I think to hear about it and see how a person recovers mm -hmm. and then the second time it happened and <laughs> lots of things changed but let me just tell you that the recent one was uh, first started with a, um, a simple illness, which was gallbladder, um, and I went to a, a doctor who, unfortunately, wasn't, I guess, quite attentive or just didn't pay much attention, and, and it got so bad that um, it was so infected that they actually, when I went to ER, they thought, um, because I had so much infection that, you know, they had to do a surgery, but then they, they weren't even sure if I was going to make it. Hmm. So, I'm sure so am, that's okay. I'm sure it's not easy to talk about it. I'm usually much stronger. That's okay. It's crying is not necessarily not strong. It's okay. Anyhow, it took me three months to recover because um, I kept going to the ER. They didn't even know what was going on. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, I found out that it only took um, a simple. Um, had um, uh, actually an ultrasound, you know, which is quite disturbing for the medical, you know, group not to, to know what was going on mm. and misdiagnosed me. So um, during the three months after I had the surgery, thankfully, and obviously I made it, and um, it, 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 I lost about 15 20 pounds, and so sorry. I it's I okay. Anyhow, um, it was um, quite difficult to even walk because I had become so weak, I wasn't able to eat, and um. Any, um, anyways, it, it, I, I, I did my best, and I recovered, and things went well after the three months, and, you know, I gained the weight back, the weight back rather, and um, as I was recovering, and I thought, okay, I can get back to life, and of course, I wasn't working when all this happened, then I was... Um, I was um, diagnosed with breast cancer. Hmm. Okay. 
so sorry to hear that. Yeah. When was that? This was last year. Hmm. Recent, actually. Quite recent. And, um, basically, um, well, the good news is it was stage one. Oh, good. And, yeah, it was treatable. I didn't even have to do chemo. Mm -hmm. And uh, I decided to do surgeries. And, Mm -hmm. um, I'm done with all of them, and uh, I mean, at at the moment, um, I've recovered. I can actually say that with confidence. I'm happy to hear that. Good. Yeah. So, so you know, it went well. The surgeries were were. I had basically in the past year and a half, with all the things that went went on, um, Mm -hmm. I had about six or seven surgeries. Wow. With a gallbladder and everything, and after hmm. I recovered, um, basically, although I'm a very strong person, whoever knows me, uh, you know, tells me you're our hero. We've seen you before getting sick, which was 15 years ago, and you know, I, I, I and I thought the same thing, except that emotionally. I'm still not 100%. I, I'm mm. far, far from it. I'm sure. I, I just, and I, I went and I saw a psychiatrist. I did some therapies, but unfortunately, I think some of the, you know, people in that field are not quite um, knowledgeable about someone who goes through illnesses and um, they did tell me it's PTSD, comes, you know, that there's depression and a lot of anxiety that comes with mm-hmm. it, and I, I'm I'm still struggling with that, even though I've I, I feel fine now. I mean, I, I'm not the type of person to, you know, think about it and get scared or you know think what if or there's none of that. In my mind, mm-hmm. what keeps me going is that I'm fine. I know I'll be fine. But emotionally, I'm really struggling. Yeah. And I just wanted to know, you know, how does one... Because not a lot of people, even in the medical community, talk about PTSD for people that have gone through cancer. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a study, actually, in Asia that they did... Um, about cancer patients, and they said one out of five go through PTSD, mm. and, um, you know, it, it's quite difficult, but it's something that is not talked about or written about so much. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting. There's so much I have to say, you know, to all that you shared. First of all, thank you for sharing all that. I Obviously, it was not easy for you, and I'm, I'm no. glad you did. And I know you sure. said something about being strong, but to me, crying is not a sign of weakness or not being strong. So I'm glad you you shared and you you, 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 you told us what, what you went through. But, you know, I don't know if you heard me in the previous segment talking about the stigma of mental illness and how we don't yes. equate medical we, and mental. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's not, I just, I'll reiterate it. But this idea of we don't equate medical and mental illness. And so when we look at what you went through, it was as if once your physical health was okay, everyone thought, well, now she's good. There's nothing to worry about or she doesn't need any more support or treatment or care physically mm-hmm. she's fine that's the only thing 
that matters, not realizing the emotional impact all of this had. And also for some people, when they go through something like cancer, um, people mm -hmm. that I've talked to, you know, sometimes during they don't feel as much. And then because when you're in there, you know, using your analogy of a battle again or war, when you're in it, you're so focused on the next treatment and what's going on and all that, as if you're watching the bullets whiz by you, that finally exactly. when it's done, then you realize everything you went through hits you like, whoa, that was so much. And now yeah. I'm afraid to get sick again because it was such a surprise last time. How do I know it's not happening again? And you become, you know, one of the symptoms of PTSD is hypervigilance where you kind of become hypervigilant. What's that ache? What's that pain? What's this? What's that? And many people can experience that after having a serious uh, medical condition. But, you know, your your physical treatment was over, but now it seems like maybe you do need some more serious emotional treatment. And I don't know how long you went to, to therapy, but you might want to consider going more because if you, in fact, do PTSD, have PTSD, which we can talk about, you're going to need some treatment to help you. You, you shouldn't leave yeah. it untreated. Think and about... This is what I, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, that's I, right. This is exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. Um, you know, there was a therapist uh, whom I was talking to while I was having so much pain because of the gallbladder. I didn't know what was going on. Um, I kept vomiting, even acid, and I was so becoming so weak, and he knew all that. I kept talking to him about it, and, you know, after we found out what was going on and all the surgeries, he was still talking to me a little bit. I mean, I wasn't quite impressed um of course, I'm not going to mention names. No, but, please don't. Um, you know, and then when the cancer thing happened, I I talked to him. I reached out to him, and you know, I I'm not sure why there's so many um, therapists out there. Um, they have their licenses, obviously, <laughs> but then the the. They, they have their own, again, quote-unquote, method, as they put it. Sure. And they keep listening, uh, you know, at the end of the hour, <clears throat> sorry, the hour, they might say one or two things. I mean, that may be for someone who's not quite well-read, I'm going to put it, or educated, might work for me. Uh, you know, it, I, I'm somebody who reads, who, who, who's been around my career, everything. You know, I need somebody who's, uh, so to speak, smarter in, in that area. Well, and you know, let I me, don't understand yeah. why they, they keep quiet. At some point, I, I actually mm -hmm. confronted him. And I wanted to, and I said, why aren't you talking to me about all this? I'm asking you questions, and you're not really addressing them. And I don't have the energy to go to other people and talk about this whole thing again. It's painful. And he just, he, I guess he was being honest. He said, um, I kind of, uh, in Farsi, he said, Chama Borda. I kind of didn't, you know, I, like he came I, up I short didn't know what you. else yeah. to say. <laughs> I mean, that's unprofessional. He could have told me, you know, I, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. You know, particular case. Why don't you go to so and so? But let me, you know, but he was. To go. I no, I can understand you feel stuck, but you know, he was at least being honest, which I think is fair. You know, we'll be fair to him. Say that was good. 
you know, even if you look at our interaction, I've been listening a lot more than talking. And therapy, although this is not therapy, it's a little bit different, of course. Um, therapy in general, the therapist is going to listen more than they talk. However, there might be people, you know, some people are more directive than others. And there's different people. People have different styles. And what's so important about therapy is finding someone you feel comfortable with and you connect with and, and is the way you are. But you do have to be ready that in general, they're going to talk, uh, listen more than they talk. But it doesn't mean you can't find someone that you feel like gives you more of what you're looking for and, and you can have more of the relationship with your therapist that you're looking for. Now, I, I want us to talk some more. We're at a commercial break, but I do want to uh, talk with you after the break, too, because I feel like we've opened up a lot of things and we want to see what you can do next and even talk about the potential PTSD and all that. So just hang online. We'll talk after the break. Okay. All right, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back before the break. We're with the caller. Let's go back to her. <clears throat> caller, are you still there? Yes, I'm okay. here. <laughs> All right. Now, we were talking about, you said you feel like after some medical issues you dealt with first there was a gallbladder that got really bad to the point where um, you really felt like you you were close to death and that was really yeah. difficult then you found out you had breast cancer thankfully it was in stage one and you were able to uh, go through treatment and and have survived um and yeah. but you said you feel like you have ptsd and i wanted to talk about the symptoms that you're experiencing that make you think that and and i did actually well, during the break i looked up and i think if the study you were talking about was a malaysian study I think yeah, I found the one you were talking about, um, or an article about that. But yeah, tell me what symptoms you, you experience that make you think of a PTSD diagnosis. Sure. Um, basically, severe anxiety, at times panic attack. Hmm. Um, I'm not able to eat much, even though I'm, I know I have to really take care of myself and, you know, I'm not able to do that. And going out, seeing friends once in a while even is is so difficult. Even going to the store becomes mm -hmm. extremely difficult. I look at people and I, I, don't, I know it's not real. It's in my mind, but I feel like I'm, I'm just, I've been taken away from this whole, you know, hmm. everyday, you know, life. And because I've been at home for so long or the, at the hospital, it's so hard to get back. And I need to tell you that my career, my job, and what I've worked for all my life had to do with seeing customers. I'm an electrical engineer hmm. in aerospace. You know, working with the largest companies in the world and going, you know, traveling all over the world, just dealing with with clients. And I'm talking about CEO, VP level. And this person has, who I don't even recognize any longer can't even go anywhere. Mm. Yeah, but I hope you can be, you know, easier on yourself, not be so hard on yourself. Clearly, you're dealing with a lot of anxiety now. If it's PTSD specifically, it could possibly be, but definitely anxiety regardless, and also depression. 
I mean, that, that sounds very clear. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, really clear in what absolutely. you're the way you're you're talking about. And you know, I wrote down here because you mentioned you had uh, stage one breast cancer, and that we're really happy about that. That imagine now you have stage one PTSD, or maybe it's even stage two. But similar yeah. to the breast cancer, if you wait, it, it would have gotten a lot worse. You have to do something about it. Same thing with the PTSD or the depression and anxiety you're dealing with. If you leave it untreated, it's going to turn into stage three, stage four, and get even worse. And so just like you, there was no way you were going to not get treatment for your breast cancer. You wouldn't say, oh, I really didn't like this doctor so much, so I'm just not going to get any treatment. I want you to take your mental health just as serious and say, okay, I go to one therapist. Even if I go six times, I don't feel a connection, don't feel the right. I go to the next one. I don't stop until I find the right connection, I find the right treatment, and I start taking care of this. I want you to take it as seriously absolutely i understand that i've been seeing a psychiatrist as well okay and he's given me some medication really basic nothing really that helps at the moment i've told him and because he's known me before all this happened Mm -hmm. you know i used to go to him i've always reached out i've always wanted to become a better version of myself you know that's the kind of person i've been and you know studying knowing seeing experts in that field and he because he knows me i guess he says oh you'll be fine i i know how strong you are mm. and i i'm so tired i mean it's not yeah. just him is is so many everybody around me tells me oh you're so strong you know you can get through this and I'm, I, I have to mention this. During this time, I really didn't have a support system. Mm. And the family, my mother was there. Unfortunately, my father, long story, I'm not going to get into that, wasn't around. He's remarried. And he heard and didn't even call me. Mm. I think that really, sure. really broke my heart. Oh, I'm sure. Hmm. That, that, that's that's yeah. in, in really logically. I just try to think about everything in a logical way. That's, that's how I've studied. That's how I've, you know, run my life. And I, I just, I don't get it. Yeah, yeah there's like, no understanding. How it. on earth is that possible? But it, it is hard to, to fathom, hard to believe but I hope you recognize it has nothing to do with you and everything yeah, to yeah. do with him. But it still doesn't make exactly. it not painful. It's so painful. I'm sorry you had that experience. And I, I actually wrote down before about, you know, you talked about being strong. And it's come up a few times. And what's, first, I want to just make a comment because so many people like you, when they're going through something, they think they're supposed to just be strong and almost like never have a bad day. And I like, yeah. I've heard some people talk about their accounts of going through things like cancer and saying, you know, I tried to be strong, but it doesn't mean every day was pretty or every day I was in a good mood. I had some really yeah. bad days where I was probably really miserable to be around. And I think we have to give people that space. And people even like to say, oh, yeah, she was so strong. She ne- she was happy every day. And and really, it's probably not the truth. We just want to believe that. And this idea of being a warrior and being strong and being like a soldier and taking it, it's it just not realistic. And it puts that unrealistic expectation on people that I think is unfair and not realistic. But on top of that, something about you and how you've talked and mentioned a few things, as much mm-hmm. as I believe you when you say you're sick and tired of having to be strong and everyone telling you you're strong and because of that, maybe pulling back and not giving you the support you need, even to the point where your psychiatrist might say that. 
I want you to recognize the part where you want to be seen as strong. You want them to see you as you can handle anything. Yeah. You don't need help. Because it's not about blame. It's about recognizing your pos your power to make it different. To see that, okay, mm -hmm. there's something I get from making people think that I'm so strong I don't need them. Which, we, you know, we don't have the time today, but I hope if you do go mm -hmm. to therapy, you explore, probably will go back to your childhood. And you continue to give that. And then so you tell people, don't help me. And then when they don't help, you're going to feel disappointed. And so that's the part where you're going to have to be willing to to break your own mindset of what strong means and realize that yeah. asking for help and showing even I've vulnerability actually, is not weak. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And at this time, I did reach out to okay. a couple of people, a few people, and some of them were there during the surgery. But then after I came home, I dealt with it all by myself, and I didn't want to. I asked. I, I tried. My sister's knew they hardly came to see me i don't know what was going on i mean it just i, I saw things that I, one would probably you know not see until they're 80 90 years old and i mm -hmm. let me tell you this i know we don't have a lot of time no, that's fine. maybe i'll call back if you don't sure. mind of some course. other time of course i think this is an important subject since most people don't talk about it but Fifteen years ago, and I'm going to say this with a lot of confidence, and I know a lot of people are going to recognize my voice, and I have no problem, even though I know people judge, but that doesn't matter at this point. Mm -hmm. I had leukemia 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. So... That, I thought, like, there was no tomorrow. I fought it, and I didn't even, I, I was at the hospital. I did four series of chemo, one month at the hospital, one month at the home, one month at the hospital. Imagine, four months at the hospital. Mm. And, you know, I, 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 it just, I went skiing right, you know, in between. My doctor was was telling me you're the first person I've ever seen in my life to do this and to have a catheter in, in you know which I had to like you know clean every day and I went skiing with that I mean this is how who I am and people have seen that and because but I want you, you to know, they, but I, I want you to recognize you're also the person who first of all maybe maybe that was pushing yourself too hard I don't know what you went through maybe no, never depressed okay. i was like, i mean first the when they told me i was like what on earth at this age i mean i'm hmm. just starting my career i mean all of this uh, yeah i was really upset maybe sure. the first day but then after that i thought you know as an engineer i thought okay here's the problem what's the solution and i did it I, i'm not saying i didn't have bad days i did but then i i i, I did my best not to let that get to me because I wanted to live. I wanted to survive. Well, I'm, and I'm glad you did, but and I'm glad you, you were able to, to survive, obviously, in what you did, but I want you to, when I'm hearing you talk, there still is this, you know, going to logic only. You know, what you're dealing with is very emotional things. So it's very likely you've lived a life of being good at putting your emotions aside or trying to put them aside, but they're there. And maybe that's what, what your, your, you know, brain, your body is telling you now is you're facing all of that emotion that you were trying to avoid too much of 
and now it's time to face it. And it's going to maybe in a different way be a harder struggle than the ones you've been through because it's pains that you've been holding back for a long time. So like I said, you, you know, the psychiatrist, that's good. And I don't know what he's putting you on. Maybe it's an antidepressant the way you described it as not really having yeah, much of an effect. Support. That's good. Yeah. That's actually, pro you know, when it comes to what you're dealing with, it's likely the best thing. I'm not a, a psychiatrist to say, but it, it's pro it takes a long time. You're right. It's not quick acting where you have it and you're going to relax after 15 minutes, but it could be what you need the most. But you also need very intensive therapy and mm -hmm. even possibly with someone who deals with PTSD and anxiety or even with someone who's dealt with what you're dealing with. So like I said, I would take that so seriously. You know, going If you want to go back to that engineering mind, that's the problem. You need to be in therapy every week for months and months and months. And mm -hmm. I would not budge on that for anything. And you deserve that. You need that. So I hope you'll do that next. I do have to end the show. I'm, I appreciate you calling and sharing your story. I know it wasn't easy, but I want you to realize mm -hmm. you don't need to be quote unquote strong. Asking for help and getting help is not a weakness. It's actually the strongest thing you can do right now. And I really mm -hmm. hope you'll do that, okay? May I just say one thing? Sure. Is it possible to get any referral any like could you tell me if there's a you know at ucla or i'm looking for the best of the best okay so I can go. just hang on the line and then i'll talk to you uh, off the air thank we'll, you we'll so see. much sure, sure. i really appreciate my it. pleasure my pleasure thank you. all right thank you to our caller there and the listeners and to amir here in the studio you've been listening to in session with dr fadi have a wonderful night mm -hmm.